Letter ninety two of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter ninety two. My dearest Mr. B., I will continue my subject, although I have not had an opportunity to know whether you approve of my notions or not, by reason of the excursions you have been pleased to allow me to make in your beloved company to the seaports of this kingdom, and to the more noted inland towns of Essex, Kent, Sussex, Hampshire, and Dorsetshire, which have given me infinite delight and pleasure, and enlarged my notions of the wealth and power of the kingdom, in which God's goodness has given you so considerable a stake. My next topic will be upon a home education which Mr. Locke prefers, for several weighty reasons, to a school one, provided such a tutor can be procured, as he makes next to an impossibility to procure, the gentleman has set forth the inconveniencies of both, and was himself so discouraged on a review of them that he was ready, as he says, to throw up his pen. My chief cares, dear sir, on this head are three. First, the difficulty, which, as I said, Mr. Locke makes almost insuperable, to find a qualified tutor. Secondly, the necessity there is, according to Mr. Locke, of keeping the youth out of the company of the meaner servants who may set him bad examples. And thirdly, those still greater difficulties which will arise from the example of his parents if they are not very discreet and circumspect. As to the qualifications of the tutor, Mr. Locke supposes that he is to be so learned, so discreet, so wise, in short, so perfect a man, that I doubt, and so does Mr. Locke, such an one can hardly be met with for this humble and slavish employment. I presume, sir, to call it so, because of the too little regard that is generally paid to these useful men in the families of the great, where they are frequently put upon a foot with the uppermost servants, and the rather if they happen to be men of modesty. I would, says he, from children's first beginning to talk, have some discreet, sober, nay wise person about them, whose care it should be to fashion them right and to keep them from all ill, especially the infection of bad company. I think this province requires great sobriety, temperance, tenderness, diligence, and discretion, qualities hardly to be found united in persons that are to be had for ordinary salaries, nor easily to be found anywhere. If this, sir, be the case, does not this excellent author recommend a scheme that is rendered in a manner impracticable from this difficulty? As to these qualities being more rarely to be met with in persons that are to be had for ordinary salaries, I cannot help being of opinion, although with Mr. Locke, I think no expense should be spared, if that would do, that there is as good a chance for finding a proper person among the needy scholars, if not of a low and sordid turn of mind, as among the more affluent because the narrow circumstances of the former, which probably became a spur to his own improvement, 
will it is likely at first setting out in the world make him be glad to embrace such an offer in a family which has interest enough to prefer him and will quicken his diligence to make him deserve preferment and if such an one wanted any of that requisite politeness which some would naturally expect from scholars of better fortune might not that be supplied to the youth by the conversation of parents relations and visitors in conjunction with those other helps which young men of family and large expectations constantly have and which few learned tutors can give him i say not this to countenance the wretched niggardliness which this gentleman justly censures of those who grudge a handsome consideration to so necessary and painful a labour as that of a tutor which where a deserving man can be met with cannot be too genteelly rewarded nor himself too respectfully treated i only beg to deliver my opinion that a low condition is as likely as any other with a mind not ungenerous to produce a man who has these good qualities as well for the reasons i have hinted at as for others which might be mentioned but mr locke thus proceeds to form a young gentleman as he should be tis fit his governor should be well bred understand the ways of carriage and measures of civility in all the variety of persons times and places and keep his pupil as far as his age requires constantly to the observation of them this is an art not to be learnt or taught by books nothing can give it but good company and observation joined together and in another place says besides being well bred the tutor should know the world well the ways the humours the follies the cheats the faults of the age he has fallen into and particularly of the country he lives in these he should be able to show to his pupil as he finds him capable teach him skill in men and their manners pull off the mask which their several callings and pretences cover them with and make his pupil discern what lies at the bottom under such appearances that he may not as unexperienced young men are apt to do if they are unwarned take one thing for another judge by the outside and give himself up to show and the insinuations of a fair carriage or an obliging application teach him to guess at and beware of the designs of men he hath to do with neither with too much suspicion nor too much confidence this dear sir is excellently said tis noble theory and if the tutor be a man void of resentment and caprice and will not be governed by partial considerations in his own judgment of persons and things all will be well but if otherwise may he not take advantage of the confidence placed in him to the injury of some worthy person and by degrees monopolize the young gentleman to himself and govern his passions as absolutely as i have heard some first ministers have done those of their prince equally to his own personal disreputation and to the disadvantage of his people but all this and much more according to mr locke is the duty of a tutor and on the finding out such an one depends his scheme of a home education no wonder then that he himself says when i consider the scruples and cautions i here lay in your way methinks it looks as if i advised you to something which i would have offered at but in effect not done etc 
Permit me, dear sir, in this place to express my fear that it is hardly possible for any one with talents inferior to those of Mr. Locke himself to come up to the rules he has laid down upon this subject, and tis to be questioned whether even he, with all that vast stock of natural reason and solid sense, for which, as you tell me, sir, he was so famous, had attained to these perfections at his first setting out into life. Now, therefore, dear sir, you can't imagine how these difficulties perplex me as to my knowing how to judge which is best, a home or a school education. For here, what this excellent author justly observes on the latter, among other things, no less to the purpose. I am sure he who is able to be at the charge of a tutor at home may there give his son a more genteel carriage more manly thoughts and a sense of what is worthy and becoming with a greater proficiency in learning into the bargain and ripen him up sooner into a man than any school can do not that i blame the schoolmaster in this says he or think it to be laid to his charge the difference is great between two or three pupils in the same house and three or four score boys lodged up and down for let the master's industry and skill be never so great it is impossible he should have fifty or an hundred scholars under his eye any longer than they are in the school together but then sir if there be such a difficulty as mr locke says to meet with a proper tutor for the home education which he thus prefers what a perplexing thing is this but still according to this gentleman another difficulty attends a home education and that is what i hinted at before in my second article the necessity of keeping the youth out of the company of the meaner servants who may set him bad examples for thus he says here is another great inconvenience which children receive from the ill examples which they meet with from the meaner servants they are wholly if possible to be kept from such conversation for the contagion of these ill precedents both in civility and virtue horribly infects children as often as they come within the reach of it they frequently learn from unbred or debauched servants such language untowardly tricks and vices as otherwise they would be ignorant of all their lives tis a hard matter wholly to prevent this mischief continues he you will have very good luck if you never have a clownish or vicious servant and if from them your children never get any infection then sir my third point which i mentioned in the beginning of this letter makes a still stronger objection as it may happen against a home education to wit the example of the parents themselves if they be not very circumspect and discreet all these difficulties being put together let me dear sir humbly propose it as a matter for your consideration and determination whether there be not a middle way to be found out in a school education that may remedy some of these inconveniencies for suppose you cannot get a tutor so qualified as mr locke thinks he ought to be for your billy as he grows up suppose there is danger from your meaner servants or 
we his parents should not be able to lay ourselves under the requisite restraints in order to form his mind by our own examples which i hope by god's grace however will not be the case cannot some master be found who shall be so well rewarded for his care of a few young gentlemen as to make it worth his while to be contented with those few suppose from five to eight at most whose morals and breeding he may attend to as well as to their learning the farther this master lives from the young gentleman's friends the better it may be we will hope that he is a man of a mild disposition but strict in his discipline and who shall make it a rule not to give correction for small faults or till every other method has been tried who carries such a just dignity in his manner without the appearance of tyranny that his looks may be of greater force than the blows of others and who will rather endeavour to shame than terrify a youth out of his faults then suppose this gentleman was to allot a particular portion of time for the more learned studies and before the youth was tired with them suppose another portion was allotted for the writing and arithmetic and then to relieve his mind from both suppose the dancing-master should take his part and innocent exercises of mere diversion to fill up the rest at his own choice in which diverted by such a rotation of employments all thus rendered delightful by their successive variety he would hardly wish to pass much time for the dancing of itself with the dancing-master's instruction if a well-bred man will answer both parts that of breeding and that of exercise and thus different studies at once be mastered moreover the emulation which will be inspired where there are several young gentlemen will be of inconceivable use both to tutor and pupil in lessening the trouble of the one and advancing the learning of the other which cannot be expected where there is but a single youth to be taken care of such a master will know it to be his interest as well as duty to have a watchful eye over the conduct and behaviour of his servants his assistants in the different branches of science and education will be persons of approved prudence for whom he will think himself answerable since his own reputation as well as livelihood will depend upon their behaviour the youths will have young gentlemen for their companions all under the influence of the same precepts and directions and if some chosen period were fixed as a reward for some excellence where at a little desk raised a step or two above the other seats the excelling youth should be set to read under the master's direction a little portion from the best translations of the greek and roman historians and even from the best english authors this might in a very engaging manner initiate them into the knowledge of the history of past times and of their own country and give them a curiosity to pass some of their vacant hours in the same laudable pursuit for dear sir i must still insist that rewards and innocent gratifications as also little honours and distinctions must needs be very attractive to the minds of youth for is not the pretty ride and dairy-house breakfasting by which miss goodwin's governess distinguishes the little ladies who excel in their allotted tasks a fine encouragement to their ductile minds yes it is to be sure 
and i have often thought of it with pleasure and partaken of the delight with which i have supposed their pretty hearts must be filled with on that occasion and why may not such little triumphs be in proportion as incentives to children to make them try to master laudable tasks as the roman triumphs of different kinds and their mural and civic crowns all which i have heard you speak of were to their heroes and warriors of old for mr dryden well observes that men are but children of a larger growth our appetites are apt to change as theirs and full as craving too and full as vain permit me sir to transcribe four or five lines more for the beauty of the thought and yet the soul shut up in her dark room viewing so clear abroad at home sees nothing but like a mole in earth busy and blind works all her folly up and casts it outward to the world's open view improving the thought methinks i can see the dear little miss who has in some eminent task borne away the palm make her public entry as i may call it after her dairy breakfast and pretty airing into the governess's courtyard through a row of her schoolfellows drawn out on each side to admire her her governess and assistants receiving her at the porch their little capital and lifting her out with applauses and encomiums with a thus shall it be done to the miss whom her governess delighteth to honour i see not why the dear miss in this case as she moves through her admiring schoolfellows may not have her little heart beat with as much delight be as gloriously elated proportionably as that of the greatest hero in his triumphal car who has returned from exploits perhaps much less laudable but how i ramble yet surely sir you don't expect method or connection from your girl the education of our sex will not permit that where it is best we are forced to struggle for knowledge like the poor feeble infant in the month who is pinned and fettered down upon the nurse's lap and who if its little arms happen by chance to escape its nurse's observation and offer but to expand themselves are immediately taken into custody and pinioned down to their passive behaviour so when a poor girl in spite of her narrow education breaks out into notice her genius is immediately tamed by trifling employments lest perhaps she should become the envy of one sex and the equal of the other but you sir act more nobly with your pamela for you throw in her way all opportunities of improvement and she has only to regret that she cannot make a better use of them and of consequence render herself more worthy of your generous indulgence i know not how sir to recover my thread and so must break off with that delight which i always take when i come near the bottom of my letters to your dear self because then i can boast of the honour which i have in being your ever dutiful p b end of letter ninety two